Well, we have a great high school pastor with Alex. How many of you, by show of hands, you're thrilled you're not going on the junior high retreat this weekend? <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, this is a great time to be at Mariners. Uh, not, I don't mean today. Today will be average. But uh, this, this season, we have a new senior pastor who's coming in a few weeks. Very, very exciting. I don't know Eric, but everything I have heard about him and read about him, I'm really, really excited. Seems like a fabulous guy. And obviously, I trust Kenton and Lori. It's a good time to be at Mariners. I just got back from Africa three days ago. And uh, when you were in Africa, when you were a, a tourist, uh, you, the way they, they teach you to say hi to people is to say jumbo. But jumbo just kind of screams, tourist, you don't belong, uh, which is pretty obvious anyway when they see me there. But uh, I would say jumbo, and they wouldn't respond with jumbo, they would respond with habadi. And it sounded like hot body. So I would say, you know, jumbo, and they'd say habadi, and I'd say, thank you. Uh, <laughs> So that is the extent of my Swahili, but um, we were there because we were checking out my daughter's ministry. My daughter, a couple years ago, got 15 teenage, young teenage boys off the streets that were orphaned or run away to the streets that were sniffing glue in order to stay warm or curb their hunger pains. They just lived on the street and basically begged. She got people like us in the United States to sponsor them, to feed them, to clothe them, to put them in school, to find a house for them to live in. And, and Kathy and I basically went there this summer to see her work, which was pretty darn amazing. And these are the, uh, the African boys the, that she's gotten off the streets that have been in school for two years. Very exciting. <clears throat> but what was interesting is I hung out with these teenage boys. They were just like teenage boys in the United States, uh, except for one thing. None of them had a mobile phone. So they actually interacted with one another. They played together. They weren't head down and, and, and totally isolated. And there was something refreshing about that. You know, the entertainment in Orange County looks very different than entertainment in, in Kenya. We walked into a slum where these people had nothing. But the children just had these, the, the smiles were just totally endearing. They were just, they were beautiful. These are just mud huts that they're standing in front of. And they made toys, and their toys basically were sticks. And this is a little car, zoom in on this. It's basically a, um, an oil bottle cut in half, and they found some wheels and put it on there. And the whole time I was with them, I kept thinking about how different they are than we are. They, they had seen cameras before, but they had never seen my camera and the power that I have with my slow motion feature. And uh, I, they, they loved this. I had them run at me, and I did it in slow-mo. And, and then they just loved, loved watching that. And uh, one of the things that I was thinking about as I was there for 10 days, knowing that I was coming back to speak with you, I kept saying, God, what is it that you want me to say to these incredible people at Mariners? What, what word might you have? And I, I just kept coming back to the fact that these African people, they experienced so much joy when they were in our presence. It was fascinating to me. They had nothing. But they had so much joy when they were in our presence. We went into this one hut of a grandma of one of the boys. It was about a 12 by 12 hut. And she invited us in. And we sat down on what was basically like makeshift furniture. And it seemed like we were there for like two hours. And when we got up to leave, the sweet grandma said, 
would you come back tomorrow when you can stay longer? I'm thinking, stay, I had splinters in my butt. I'm, I'm limping out because my feet had fallen asleep. I thought, we were, we were there long enough. But the word that I actually came back with was this. And I put it in your notes. It's, it's a phrase that a primary source of their joy was being in our presence. And I thought, shouldn't this be universal? I mean, this shouldn't be limited to a slum in Kenya. Shouldn't this be a universal truth that's not based on finances or or culture? That a primary source of our joy should be by we're in the presence with one another. And I just kept thinking about how different we do presence in America versus what I was experiencing in Africa. And we're in this series on summer wisdom. And I want to give you a little bit of wisdom on presence and how it connects to relationships. As I put in your notes there, I'm going to talk about all type. What I'm talking about here today affects all of your relationships. A parent, child, husband, wife, friend, friend, child, parent, neighbor, the whole bit. That all relationships can benefit from the power of presence. See, this is not an African value. This is actually a God value. It has deep, what I would call, theological roots. Because presence is what got this whole world started. It was God's presence that started this incredible playground that we call Earth, the cosmos. And then when God wanted to come to us, he became present in the form of who? Jesus, yeah. And then when Jesus had his earthly ministry and taught us what we needed to know, then died and resurrected and ascended to heaven, then he promised us a gift, and it was a gift of his spirit, which is his presence with, within us. You got it. All right, look at this verse in, in uh, Ephesians 3.17. Apostle Paul writes, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit, then Christ will make his home. He will be present. He'll be in, he will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. You can't get more present than being with, with, within. And this is a a spiritual value presence. It's a biblical uh, value. And when I think about what keeps me from being more present, there are a lot of things. And I've made a list of all the different things that keep me from being more present. But because I was with these people and thinking about us, one of the things that I want to talk about in particular, it actually, it's only been around for 11 years. In 2011, Steve Jobs, co-founder of Apple, said this, every once in a while, revolutionary product comes along that changes everything. And he was talking about this revolutionary product. Raise your hand if you have this. Okay. Yeah. And now, I, for those of you angry Android people, I didn't forget you, okay? <laughs> Raise your hand if you have one of these lesser ones. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You can see it's totally the minority. And you need to know where the Android people are sitting because these explode occasionally. Okay? <laughs> so just be very, very careful. This little device that weighs less than five ounces. It's so little, yet it is impacting our ability to be present with one another in big ways. Because with one swipe or tap or double click, we can be connected to the entire world. This morning, 6 a.m., I FaceTime my wife 
who's still 10,000 miles away in Nairobi today. And I got to hear her voice and see her beautiful face. She's hot. And uh, it, was, it was so, so great. I mean, there is so much that we can do with this. But for many of us, we are connected out there and we're disconnected right here. How many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you think this, this, is, this is an issue in our culture? Let me see. Yeah. And for those of you who are millennials or Gen Z, it's not a young person issue. It is a relational issue. And for those of you who don't think it's an issue or you're not convinced yet, I'll just let you know that the makers of these are actually beginning to see that it's an issue. The late in June, I think June 4th, Apple came out with their new, you know, where they talked to all the developers and programmers. And basically what they're saying in the new operating system, what they're doing is the, the new operating system basically is showing people how much time they, they spend on, on the phone. And that was their whole big announcement. Like, people are going crazy with this. We need to help them in some ways disengage. This is the makers of it. And my wife said, oh, that's great. They give us a bomb for 11 years, and then they teach us how to dismantle it. But this bomb is actually blowing up attention spans. It's blowing up memory. It's blowing up creativity. It's blowing up stress and sleep and relationships. It has become so much a part of our life that it is like an appendage. And sometimes we don't know the difference between our phone and a pretzel. Watch this. Isn't that great? I mean, we are, we are on this so much that I don't need, it's not new for me to tell you that, that this is actually the new normal, okay? This, this is the new normal. We see this all the time, everywhere you go. Knee to knee, but no longer eye to eye. And I have a little hobby where I go around and take pictures of people on the phone. Uh, you know, I've been doing this for years when it was unique. It's no longer unique. I don't show the, I have hundreds of them. I don't show them here in Orange County for fear that you might be here. Okay, and there's several of you that could beat me up if you were real mad, but I thought they probably, well, she couldn't. Uh, and so I, I but I, you know, this is, this, is, this is not, this is not new. And it's not just married couples. It's friends with friends, it's parents with children. I mean, it, it's, it's painful. And it's even more painful when it's parents and the child is left there, there alone. This new normal, my friends, you know this, this new normal is impacting relationships. And here's the deal. Nobody's talking about it. I bet you've never, ever heard a sermon on this, and yet it's affecting everything that we do, that it's undoing. Actually, when we come here every Sunday morning and we worship, this little device oftentimes is undoing what we've just done. Because as soon as we're done, we now get engaged in what's out there as opposed to reflecting on what we just experienced or what we just heard. This keeps us from thinking and reflecting and, and, and being silent. And it's, it's a big deal. About two years ago, we were doing a parenting series, and I challenged you parents. I said, when your kids are in your car, you have them trapped. <laughs> S- 
stay off your phone. Don't use, make that a rule. Don't use your phone in the car. Plus, you're training them to know what to do when they get their phone because then they'll be in the car and they won't want to talk to you. But I said, stay off your phone when you're in your car. You know what you did? You went ballistic on me. That's impossible. That's so unreal. I can't, you know. We'd, we'd rather tithe more than do that. I mean, you just, you went, you went crazy. Because everybody thinks it's, you know, it's just not, it's not a big deal. But this newest addiction is negatively impacting relationships. Now, <laughs> you are one, like anything, you are 100% free to disagree with me and be totally wrong. Okay, I mean, when you die and get to heaven, you'll see I was right, all right? And, and speaking of heaven, I love this, this cartoon. Most of the new arrivals seem incapable of conversation. They just share, stare at their hands in despair, all right? But there is enough new data, new research, if you're into that, that is showing there is relational carnage everywhere. This week I read family law experts report a steady increase in the number of separated couples citing the misuse of phones and social media during divorce proceedings. Two months ago this was on the cover of USA Today. I wish my mom's phone wasn't invented. A second grader writes in a school product. And then on Facebook teachers from all over the country are chiming in saying kids are complaining about their parents' cell phone use. This is not just out there, by the way. This is happening here at our very church. In June, I was speaking at our, our last Marriage Matters for the, the season, and I was talking about how my, I, my fear is that couples are relying on technology rather than on, on conversation. And uh, for those of you that don't know, Marriage Matters is a once-a-month date night that we do. In here on a Friday night, over 2,000 couples came to it last year. We took the summer off, but we're starting up again September 7th. I would like to invite you to, to join us. Uh, you can hide there. There's so many people. You don't have to turn and share the worst thing about your marriage. I mean, we eat a meal together. We meet other people. We laugh. We have fun. And then uh, this, this month in September, I'm going to challenge us in a way about marriage. And as a matter of fact, we have a little gift to get you in the rhythm of dating, we have a date kit. There's 2,000 of them out there on the patio. Pick one up, and this is just a little date kit. Um, it's got a dice in it and some other things, and you're just going to have to find out what that's all about. But uh, we've done a date for you, so you have no excuses. Anyway, this person who went to Marriage Matters says this, Doug, I especially enjoyed last Friday's Marriage Matters. We've seen five of the nine talks that you've given, and I especially love this last one. My wife is the phone person, and she doesn't get why I hate it. We even had a fight in the car on the way uh, to Mariner's Church because she was reading emails while I was driving. I told her date night had started. I loved the talk and nearly died when I asked her on the way out to the car if she enjoyed it, and she said, I thought it was his weakest one. <laughs> it obviously wasn't what she wanted to hear. Well, no one really wants to hear this because it's a big deal. We, we love this little device. Surveys say that 20% of all Americans would rather go shoeless for a week than give up their phone. 66% of us sleep with it right by our bed, and 75% report being within five feet of their smartphones uh, at, all, at all times. The mental health world 
has given us a new term called nomophobia. It's a new phobia, new fear. The fear of being without access to a working cell phone. And apparently, they say it affects 50% of the population. 50%. That's all of you over, over here. 50%, okay? And, you know, when we talk about people being nomophobic, they're like, yeah, that's probably me. You know, <laughs> we, we don't laugh at, you know, other addictions, but... This one seems so benign in comparison, doesn't it? Well, at least I'm, you know, I'm not addicted to pornography or drugs or gambling or, or drinking. Uh, and so we kind of laugh this off. And I'm just curious, how, how many of you know somebody who needs to hear this message? And now when I say someone, I don't mean you. You've, it's not about you. You've got, you're, da- you're okay. It's other people out there. How many of you know somebody that needs this? Yeah, I was just, I was just curious. Um, and let me be really, really clear. Um, I'm not talking about phone abstinence. I'm talking about phone consciousness. That we actually be aware of what's happening and what it's doing. I, I love, I, I, I love technology. I have a desktop, I have a laptop, I have an iPad. I have uh, an iPhone, I have a Twitter account, I have an Instagram account, at Doug Fields, if you want to follow me, you'll be closer to Jesus if you do. And, <laughs> and, you know, when I tweet or Instagram, just like you, I get the same dopamine rush. It's a thrill when you see that somebody has, has liked or retweeted. It, 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 it props up my insecurities, like, oh, somebody thought that was funny or wise or insightful. They like me today. Yay. You know, it's one of those types of things. So I just want you to know, I'm not anti-technology at all. I'm not asking you to become Amish and run away <laughs> from all technology, okay? I'm just asking you, would you be honest enough with your own life to understand this digital distraction and what it's doing not only to your relationships, but also to your, your very soul. So I know some of you in here, you, you're here today because, um, well, you're not a person of faith, but you came because somebody invited you and I'm thrilled that you're here or you're, you're curious or you're questioning or you're investigating. You know, I just want you to know this is not a Christian versus a non-Christian issue. This is an issue with with humanity. The American Psychological Association has developed a new term called technoference. Technoference is how technology is interfering with, with relationships. And basically the data is proving that the smartphone is making us dumb with one another. Like this, watch. Really? 
I think, as relational beings, designed by God to be relational. Don't you think we're better than that? And, and not, just, not just that, as many of us in here who have aligned our lives and our heart to follow the person and teachings of Jesus, not only are we better than that, we're actually called for more than that. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing we're to do? What's, he basically summarized the Old Testament commandments. There were 613 of them. And Jesus was asked, which is the most important? Here's how Jesus responded in, in Matthew 22. He said, uh, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is not less important, but equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you want the whole Bible summarized? Is love God, love others. And you and I, we cannot be very effective at loving God and loving others if we can't discern how this is either a, an, a tool that enhances our life or distracts us from life. And when it comes to the Bible, there is no Bible verse that says you should limit your phone time. And, you know, sometimes I teach verse by verse and sometimes I teach verse with verse and kind of jump around. And today we're going to jump a little bit. I want to jump to Jesus. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. If not, it's going to be up here on the screen. Starting in verse 41, it says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And Jesus said, but why do you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Which makes me feel better because there's sometimes I read in here and I don't understand uh, either. Now let me give you a little bit of context. Nazareth to Jerusalem is about a five-day walk. Now some of you, you know, you look at this whole thing through the lens of the parents and go, what is the deal with those, those parents, all right? I mean, they're, they're dead. what we do know is they were not helicopter parents, okay, because he was missing for, for three days. There was probably a day of travel, and they would caravan. They would walk with their whole community. So, you know, as a teen, they probably thought he was some friends till they got to, you know, where, where, where is Jesus? Oh, we'll go find him in the morning, okay? So that kind of makes up for the, the three days. They're not going to get attentive parent of the year. Uh, but, you know, let's, let's be generous with, with Mary and Joseph because they had to be parents of Jesus. You try that one, okay? <laughs> like, oh, Jesus, you, you think you're perfect all the time, don't you? And like, well... Yeah, I, you know, I am. So anyway, but notice, I want you to notice where they found Jesus. What was he doing? Key words. He was listening and asking questions. That 
He was listening and, and asking questions. He was present. He was in the moment. He was caught up with people because that's what Jesus did, and that's who Jesus was. People were his priorities, and listening to people is one of the ways we make people priorities. Not listening while texting, not listening while looping through our social media apps, not listening with a thought of, I need to find the greatest emoji to have a response to uh, what, I'm, what I'm hearing. No, we've all heard that listening is the language of what? Love. Listening is the language of love. Why? Because listening validates people as valuable. So I am not loving you or anyone around me while I'm texting or checking this device or I'm distracted in some other way. I'm not, I'm not loving you. And somehow in our culture, and this is kind of what I hope to change, somehow in our culture uh, it's become socially acceptable to compulsively check this when we're with people. Anytime it buzzes or beeps, we feel obligated as it's scriptural that we have, to, we have to check it. Those of you that have Apple Watches, I mean, you've just doubled the ante. Like, you know, it's always just your whole body's vibrating, all right? I mean, Pavlov would have a field day with us in the, in the classic conditioning. Someone said checking your phone and picking your nose are very similar, okay? There's nothing wrong with it, but no one should have to watch you do it. Yeah. Here's my concern. My concern is that you and I, we're putting a higher value on the unknown, on the unknown buzz, on the unknown beep, on the unknown ring, than we are on the known that is right in front of us. Okay? And thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, our culture is actually beginning to see some resistance to this. The millennial generation, many of them are the ones that are piling phones on a table and saying the first one to pick up their phone pays for the bill. There's actually a new term out called fubbing. Don't fub me, meaning phone plus snubbing. The definition is, is this, the act of snubbing someone in a social setting by looking at your phone instead of paying attention. We've all seen what that looks like, as I've, you know, mentioned before. This is, this is fubbing, and it's not just restaurants, and it's all types of, of different uh, places. And, it, you know, you, there's now, uh, when, when you are being fubbed, is when you get kind of angry at that person, and you feel a little bit of resentment toward them because they're not loving you, they're not listening to you, they're not treating you as valuable. And then you get snarky comments in your mind like, like this cartoon. Do you mind if I strap your phone to my forehead so I can pretend you're looking at me when I talk? Okay. You know, 20 years ago the campaign was say no to drugs, today the campaign is say no to fubbing. Okay, drugs are apparently fine. Okay, and <laughs> I would suggest that 99.9% of the time this buzzes or beeps or rings, it's not more important than who you are with and who you're in front of, trying to be a person of presence. So as people who, who value people, I'm just suggesting that the anticipation of what could be is not more important than who is. Does that make sense? 
And by the way, that's not new. I stole that from Jesus. See, Jesus had a conversation with a woman named Martha who was complaining because her sister Mary was sitting in a conversation listening to Jesus. And Martha comes into the room and complains to Jesus. And here's what, here's what she says. This is in Luke chapter 10. And she says, you know, Martha, uh, Mary needs to help. And Jesus says to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all of these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. See, Jesus was making a statement about value. He's making a statement about priority, importance. And what's buzzing in your pocket is not more important than who is in your presence. Ladies, the, the, what is buzzing in your purse is not more important than who is standing in your midst. If we go back to that Luke chapter 2 passage, not only was Jesus listening, but you remember what else he was doing? He was listening and, and, and asking questions. Now here's the thing. He didn't need to ask questions. Why? He was, he was God. Okay, this is not in your notes, but up on the screen, John chapter 2 says this. No one needed to tell him, Jesus, about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. So why does Jesus ask questions? I mean, all throughout the Gospels, he's asking people questions because he understood that when you ask people questions, it communicates that you care about them. It's one of the ways that you, you engage a person's heart is you, you dig below the surface of, of who they are because there's always something below the surface. There's always going on in something in a person's life and to give questions gives you an opportunity to love them and discover more about them in a deeper way. And here's a little secret. Most people want to talk about their favorite subject, which is themselves. So when you ask questions, you get to who they are. Some of you are married and you have average marriages or below average marriages because you've stopped asking questions of your spouse other than, so what'd you do today? Because you assume you know everything about them when they have new dreams and new fears and new insights and, and new discoveries and you're just not asking about those. Those of you who are parents... You ought to be asking kids questions every single day because they are changing so much every single day and you are actually being present by asking them questions. You are loving them with your interest in them. And when I talk about being present, I don't mean just being in the house with them or being in the kitchen with them. I just mean free of distractions. You know what kids are saying about their parents today? Oh, yeah, they're at home. They're just never available. My mom is always on Facebook. My dad is always on his email. And here's a, here's a photo I took of a, at a restaurant. I, I knocked the faces out because I thought this guy could take me. Uh, but, and, and even the stranger. But here he is at a table with his son. I could take a picture of this every day at pretty much any restaurant, right? The parent is on their phone. The kid is spaced out. What this dad doesn't understand is there's only 936 weeks between, between the time a child is born and when he graduates high school. And those of us that are on the other end of it, we know how quickly that goes. And every minute matters. 
to love and to listen and to ask questions and to engage. And no one is perfect at this, but we can, I know we can do better. In that Luke passage, when Jesus responds to his, his parents, he says, didn't you know that I needed to be at my father's house? And there are other translations that say, um, among my father's people, uh, in the things of my father. But in the New King James, I love this translation, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And I thought, what if, what if that is our father's business? To to listen and to ask questions and to be present with people. What if that is our father's business? Well, it pretty much seems to be when he said, love God and, and love others. That is God's will for my life. That is my father's business. And I'm confessing to you and to my family and friends, I want to be better at this. I want to be better at this. But I also know when I'm sitting where you're sitting, you're like, yeah, Doug, I want to be better at it too. But how? So let me pivot and go really, really practical for some of us that need it. Okay, some of you don't need this. Most of us, in the, we need this to be real practical. So here's what we've got. Number one is to evaluate your own digital distractions. Take a little reflection time and ask this question. Why am I always reaching for, for my phone? Why do I engage in what I call the black hole looping? And we all have our different loop. My loop is email, then Twitter, then Instagram. And since they've started Instagram stories, oh my gosh. I mean, that, that is like, I get lost in those Instagram stories. 30 minutes later, I'm like, why am I still sitting on the toilet? Uh, you know, because that's, <laughs> that's where I check Instagram. Uh, and then, you know, whatever, whatever your loop is, why are, you, why are you doing that? Just to ask yourself, why am I so engaged in that? And why is it capturing so much time? And here's the number one answer people say. is because I'm bored or I want a fun distraction. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, for many of us, what we've done is we think silence is synonymous with boredom. And the smartphone does a great job at making sure we're never alone with our thoughts. Now the problem with this is for followers of Jesus, stillness is a virtue. Stillness is a virtue. It's, it's, a, it's a need for our soul and for our faith to deepen and, and be developed. That's why in the Psalms it says, be still and know that I am God. See, again, the reason that I'm talking about this one unique behavior is this un can undo in a minute what we just spend 70 minutes experiencing here as a faith family. Okay? We need, if you're going to be a deep person, especially a follower of Jesus, we need time to reflect and to think and to pray. And this is a major distraction for many of us. So evaluate your own digital distractions. Number two, um, identify your relational values. And what I mean by this is what kind of person do you want to be in terms of relationships? What kind of friend do you want to be? What kind of spouse do you want to be? What kind of child do you want to be to your parent or parent to, to your children? When I think of my, my relational values, 
I don't want my legacy to be that I was a speaker or an author. My books are not my legacy. I mean, people don't read my books while I'm alive. They're not going to read them when I'm dead, okay? <laughs> what I want to be remembered, my relational values, is I want to be known as somebody who had a vibrant, growing, imperfect relationship with Jesus, who was madly in love and committed to his wife, Kathy, whose children, without a shadow of a doubt, knows that he loved them well. Those are my legacy right there. Okay, that's my legacy. And when you know, for many of you, that's no different from you, but when you know what your relational values are, then your relational values actually become your convictions. Then your convictions actually guide your time. You can't have strong relational values and spend the average adult in America four hours a day on this while he or she is spending four to eight minutes a day with their children. It's incongruent. But we've got to identify what our relational values are. Okay? Thoreau said this, the price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. That is so good. Because some of us are giving too much of our life to what I would call lifeless things. You might be busy connecting to the whole world when your whole world is sitting right there. Okay? That needs to change for me and probably for you. Third action is to power down occasionally. And that just means, that just means turn it off. They all have power buttons, okay? You know, turn it off. You will live another day. You power down, I'm specifically at the table. I'd say power down before you take it to bed. I'd say power down at church so you can worship undistracted. Power down in the, in the car, okay? Uh, you know, I hear from ladies, you know, my husband or my boyfriend, they don't, they don't talk to me. And then, and then when they're driving, you're sitting next to them texting. That is the time, ladies, when guys want to talk while they're driving because they don't have to make eye contact with you. <laughs> you are missing a great opportunity to engage with them, okay? And then fourth is install speed bump reminders. A speed bump is a small obstacle that slows you down before you reach for this. See, I am well aware that this device can rob me from the power of the presence. And so there are times I need a little help in between the impulse and the action. And that's what a speed bump is. And there are several types of speed bumps. My, one of my friends ha, uh, has a jail that uh, he creates this speed bump for his family. That when they get home, they have to lock this up over a certain number of, of hours. That is an example of a speed bump. I created a speed bump as a, as a little sticker that I made. And I put this sticker on the back of my phone to remind me. So when I meet with somebody, I put my phone down and I see this little sticker and it reminds me to be present, okay? Now, I realize it could be Bumble Gift, okay, or Stinger Package or Buzz Box, but that's not it, all right? It's be present. And I've shared this with some of my friends, and their eyes light up, and they're like, I need one. I go, I know you do. So that's my gift to you, all right? Everybody gets a sticker today, okay? <laughs> 
When was the last time you cheered for a sticker? Come on, let's be honest. When I pulled the trigger when I was in Africa, I emailed Marin and said, let's order thousands of stickers, all right? And you know Saturday night, you know what they did, because they're evil, right? You know they took, they took too many stickers, but the ushers will have a sticker for you on your way out, but there's only enough for one. Okay, you have one, one sticker. It's like, oh, my baby needs a sticker. No, your baby doesn't need a sticker. Your baby doesn't have a phone, all right? Okay, but grab a sticker on the way out and, and use that as a reminder. As a matter of fact, my friend this week put together a website that I'm very excited about. I've added 25 ideas to it. Uh, it's put, I put it in your notes. It's be present. Um, dot today, that's what I put in your notes, but dot tips also works. They both go to the same website, and I put a bunch of funny stuff about being present, some dumb items, but I have a list of 25 ways that it will help you disengage or break up with your phone for short seasons of time. It's very practical. I wish I could say them all, but we don't have time, so I put it on the website. If you have ideas, add it to the web. I'll add it to the website, but I made this for you. Okay, I made this for you, so I encourage you to go to that this week and poke around and read some of the tips. I put some articles on there that I think you should read, a couple books, a new book that I have out on parenting in a screen-saturated culture. There's a lot of things that can help you more than I can help you uh, right, right now. But for relationships to thrive, they require presence and attention. And presence sends this message, you matter to me. You matter to me. And every time we look at this device when we're with somebody, here's what we're saying. Oh, wait a second. You don't matter as much as this does. This matters more. That's not the way of Jesus. You see, Jesus loved people with his time, with his compassion, with his attention, with his words, with his love. And he didn't allow other people's agendas to slow him down. One time Jesus is walking with a man uh, to heal his son. And a whole crowd gathers around. Because the Bible says everywhere Jesus went, people were amazed and there was a crowd. And they're walking to this guy's house. And some lady moves through the crowd just to touch the cloak of Jesus. And Jesus stops the entire parade. And he finds the woman. And he looks her in the eyes. And he addresses her concern. He encourages and affirms her faith. And then he calls her daughter, which in Aramaic was a, a term of affection. Why everybody else had another agenda for Jesus, Jesus stopped because people matter. That's the Jesus way, people matter. You matter to Jesus because you matter so much, Jesus went to the cross for, for you. And I want to be more like Jesus. And I want that for you as well. Does anybody here want to be more aware of their presence when they're with people? Does anybody be courageous enough to commit to taking some steps to change this? Because we are better than this. And to be about our Father's business. So Jesus, we want to be about your business. We don't want to be the same people when we leave here as we were today. We're so easily distracted and it's affecting our souls. It's affecting our relationships. Even if we don't want to admit it, will you, admit it, will you give us the wisdom and the insight that is greater than our own? Help us in ways that we can't help ourselves. 
May people who know you and follow you and love you set the pace for what it looks like to be present and engaged, to communicate to people that they matter to us. And thank you that you love us so much because we are your people. We pray in your loving name. Let us respond. Ask the Lord to make us more aware.
Amen. Would you thank Doug Fields for bringing God's word this morning? The challenge for us to be present. Make sure you do. You grab a sticker on your way out. If your need is for prayer, uh, call in on a group of his friends over here to the right. They love you. They would love to pray for you. If you need us to be prayer for healing, out the center doors and to the right as scripture commands, our elders will pray for you for healing. Would you open up your hands and receive a blessing before we go? Oh God, look at your children. They love you. Would you bless them and keep them? Would you cause your face to shine upon them? Would you lift up the light of your countenance and grant them your peace? We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you go in God's grace?